You're listening to the teaching ministry of Rhea Briscoe, a division of Snowdrop Ministries. For more information about Rhea or how to connect with Snowdrop Ministries, please visit our website at www.snowdropministries.com or you can call 414-581-8150. We pray you are both blessed and challenged by this teaching. There's an old Arab proverb that says, One cold night, as an Arab sent in his tent, a camel gently thrust his nose under the flap and looked in. Master, he said, let me put my nose in your tent. It's cold and stormy out here. By all means, said the Arab, and welcome, as he turned over and went to sleep. A little while later, the Arab awoke to find that the camel had not only put his nose in the tent, but his head and neck also. The camel, who had been turning his head from side to side, said, I will take but a little more room if I place my forelegs within the tent. It's difficult standing out here. Yes, you may put your forelegs within, said the Arab, moving a little to make room, for the tent was small. Finally, the camel said, may I not stand wholly inside? I keep the tent open by standing as I do. Yes, yes, said the Arab, come inside wholly. Perhaps it will be better for both of us if you do that. So the camel crowded in. The Arab, with difficulty in the crowded quarters, again went to sleep. When he awoke the next time, he was outside in the cold, and the camel had the tent to himself. Can I just tell you that we have an enemy who wants to get a nose into our tent. And like the camel in this story, if we give him even the smallest bit of access, before we know it, he will infiltrate our entire life. My mother used to tell me, Rhea, if you give the enemy an inch, he'll take a foot. If you crack the door to him, he'll push the entire door open. And that's so true. That's why in his letter to the Ephesians, Paul encouraged his readers not to give place to the devil. And that's what I'd like to talk to you about tonight. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Would you just pray with me one more time? Father, we thank you that your word is alive. We thank you that it's powerful and that it's forever settled in heaven. And so, Father, I pray that as I preach this word tonight, Lord, that you would bring clarity. You would help me to do it with great effectiveness and great power. Lord, I ask for authority with your word. Lord, would you pierce our hearts? Lord, we're not even capable of fully understanding and and receiving your word unless your Holy Spirit gives us clarity and revelation. And so I'm asking for you to do that, Lord. Lord, you know there's so much that I want to say and so much that you have, you've shown me in the last couple of weeks. And so, Lord, I'm asking you for mercy. I'm asking you for your grace. Would you enable me, Lord, to teach your word, to bless your people and to encourage them with your powerful word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4. I'll begin reading in verse 26. The word says, Be angry. And do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who is in need. 
my favorite part. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but only what is good for the necessary edification. I think the NIV says, but only what is good for building others up. Oh, I like that. Do you build others up with your words? Do you encourage them with your words? The Bible says that a wise woman builds her house, but a foolish one tears it down with her very own hands. I I think what it really means is with her very own mouth. I wonder if we're building are you building your children? Are you building your spouse? Are, are you building your coworkers? Are, are you building Susie down the street? Are your words encouraging and building others up? It says, build others up that it may impart grace to the hearers. Verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind and compassionate to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another even as Christ and God forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and given himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. I know I spoke to you about this a few weeks ago, but I want to delve into it in a little uh, deeper way tonight. I want you to focus uh, primarily on the verse, and I think it's verse 27 that says, nor give place to the devil. That word place in the original language, and I want you to listen carefully here because it's vital that you grasp this. That word place means that which a person or thing occupies. A place that someone has a right to. It's a place or a spot where one can settle, abide, or dwell. Figuratively, the word means opportunity or occasion. Now, I want to ask you, are you giving place to the devil? Are you giving him an opportunity or an occasion to act in your life? Are you making a place in your life for him to settle down and dwell? Do you have a habit or a behavior that allows him a place from which to operate? The Bible says that Jesus on the cross of Calvary, he overcame hell, death, and the grave. That means he stripped the devil of his rights. He does not have a right to operate in your life any longer. Do you understand that? That he defeated hell, death, and the grave? That the enemy of our soul is a defeated foe? Do do you understand that? He has no power. The only power, and you've heard me say this a million times, the only power that the devil has is what you and I surrender to him. The place that we give him in our life. Christ stripped him of his legal right to operate in our lives. Uh, But but do you understand that he is still operating in people's lives today? You say, Rhea, how how does he do that? Because we're not aware. We are not aware and we allow him place. We allow him the right to work in our life. Just like a thief today. Do you know that the Bible says that the devil is a thief? He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Thieves today, they they give no, uh, uh, they pay no attention to the, the legal rights. They have no legal right to steal and yet they steal anyway. Until somebody with authority rises up and says, you will not do that any longer, and puts them in their place. Do you understand that we have authority in Christ? That the enemy is a defeated foe, and he tries to come to steal, kill, and destroy. And we need to rise up in the authority that's ours to use the name of Jesus and come against him. Do you understand that? Are you giving place 
to the devil? Are you doing something in your life that gives him opportunity or an occasion to act? What really grieves me is if you look at that word give, give place to the devil, nor give place to the devil, that word give there, and, and I'm taking this directly out of, out of the Greek dictionary, the word give means to give of one's own accord and with goodwill. To give, grant, permit, and yield. To put in the hands power or possession of anyone. To commit or trust to the charge or the care of anyone. To give oneself. To deliver oneself. Does that make anybody sad besides me? To give of my own accord and with goodwill. Nor give of your own accord and with goodwill place to the devil. An opportunity to act in your life. It's interesting that that tense there is the present imperative with the negative. It means to stop something that's already in progress. In other words, Paul's saying, you know what? I'm looking at your life and I'm seeing that you're giving place to the devil. You are giving him an opportunity, the defeated foe, an opportunity to have victory in your life. Now you need to stop doing it. Nor give place to the devil. Stop giving it of your own accord and with goodwill. He says, nor give place to the devil. That word devil is diabolos. And you've heard me teach on that many times. And for those of you that are here tonight for the first time, let me explain that word devil to you. In the original language, it's diabolos. And it's, it's a compound word. And it's formed from the word dia and balos. And, and the word dia means to come alongside. Oh, can I tell you, he comes alongside of us. And the word balos means to throw and to keep throwing until you get penetration. Oh, can I tell you that we have an enemy of our soul who comes alongside of us. You see, he can't get in us, but he can sure throw and throw and throw until he gets penetration. And he throws his lies. And he throws his accusations. And he throws his temptations. And he keeps throwing them and throwing them and throwing them until he achieves penetration in our life. That's the word that Paul uses when he says, don't give place to the devil. He's looking for a place to penetrate. He's looking for an opportunity or an occasion to get a foothold in your life. Flip your, your pages over to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, I'd like to read a verse 30 to you. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. Do, do you love that? This is Jesus speaking to his disciples, and he's saying that the, the God of this world, the ruler of this world is coming, and let me just tell you what, he has nothing in me. There's a scripture that, that says the devil is crouching at your door. Sin is crouching at your door. It wants to have you. Do you understand that? Jesus is saying, the devil, the ruler of this world is coming, but he will find no occasion to act in me. I will not give place to him. He has nothing in me. I wonder if we could say that. Could we, like Jesus, say, the devil has nothing in me. I have given him no place to act in my life. Oh, church, we need to be alert and not unaware of the enemy's schemes because he is looking for a place to penetrate in your life. He's looking for a place to settle down and, and begin to work from an occasion and an opportunity to work in your life. Don't give place to him. 
Notice that Jesus calls him the ruler of this world. John 5, 19 says that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. While it might be true that the whole world lies in, the, lies in his power, and he may be indeed the God of this world, can I just remind you as born-again believers, we do not lie in his power. We serve the one true God who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the King eternal, immortal, and invincible. He is the one who all authority and all power belongs to. He is the one that in the end all knees will bow and all tongues will confess that he is Lord of all. And we belong to him. When we, were, when we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Bible says that we were delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved Son. But can I just tell you that in this world today, there is a clash between kingdoms, a clash between, a clash between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And the Bible says that you and I have been appointed ambassadors, representatives of the kingdom of light. Can I just tell you that we are representing God in this world? People should be able to look at us and say, there is something different about him. There's something different about her. And as long as we are giving place to the devil, I will tell you, people will not be able to identify us that way. Are you giving place to the devil? Jesus said, he's praying to the Father in John 17, 9, and he says, I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. We should not live and function like the world around us. We might live in this world, but we are not of it. And greater is he that's in us than he that's in this world. You might say, well, Rhea, how did Jesus, uh, how, how did he get to the place where he was able to say, the, the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me? How do I get to that place? Jesus lived under the authority of the Father. He always deferred to the Father. He didn't do anything except what the Father told him to do. He lived under the Father's authority. And in doing that, he gave no place to the devil. You and I are saved by grace. There is nothing we could do to mess with that. You can't be bad enough. You can't mess up enough. You're saved by grace. If you're here and you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are headed to heaven. But even though we're saved by grace, there is something about coming under the authority and the power of God's word, of, of obedience. There's something with obedience that closes the door to the devil and doesn't give him a place to operate in our life. Jesus says that the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. Like Jesus, we must settle it in our heart that God's word will have the final authority in our life and that we will only do what the Father tells us to do. What would happen, church, if we started to act that way? Oh, I'm gonna get off my notes, but I just need to tell you this. I've been studying as I've been writing this book and I've been studying Proverbs uh, uh, 3, 4, and 5 that says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will direct your path. Oh, I've been, I've been studying that because you see some things have been happening in my life. And, and I've told you numerous times, I got a little bit of a temper. I, I just do. You, you really don't want to mess with me. When I'm walking in the flesh, I can be rather nasty. And I've got a mouth. And, and God uses it, but so does the enemy. And so I'm always trying to refine that. I'm always trying to let God clean that up in my life. And, and some people have hurt me a little bit. And, and I've been, I've been kind of ticked off. Anybody besides me get ticked off when somebody tries to hurt you? And I've been kind of ticked off about it. And, and, and 
and in doing that, I, I've kind of just said, Lord, I know what your word says about forgiving, but they really ticked me off, and I'd like to tell them a thing or two. Could I just tell them a thing or two, Lord? And, and who knows that sometimes we give the enemy an opportunity. We give place to him through our disobedience to God's word. And, and while I knew God's word said to forgive, I knew God's word said put away all bitterness, rage, and anger, along with every form of malice. I can even quote it to you. I knew God's word said that, but I was ticked off. And in doing that, I gave place to the devil. I gave him an opportunity to act in my life. Are you with me? And so God took, took me to that passage that said, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And I'm telling you, I began to take that scripture apart. Do you know that that word trust means, uh, it means to, to, to really confide in and to rely on and, and it's really good stuff. It, it means to, 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 to really to have total trust. Trust in the Lord with all your what? Heart. We've talked about this numerous times. What does the word heart mean? Your mind, your will, your emotions, the seed of your passions and your appetites. Trust in the Lord, Rhea, with all your mind. Trust in the Lord, Rhea. Absolutely trust in him with all your emotions. Trust in the Lord, Rhea, with all your will and your passions, because you're passionate. Can you defer to him, Rhea? And you see, when all of that anger rose within me and when that person hurt me the way they hurt me and, and I just wanted to tell them a thing or two, if I had at that point closed the door of the devil and said, you will not find anything in me. I am not giving you an occasion to act. You are not going to play up my passion. And I would have slammed the door and said, you know what, Lord, I'm going to trust in you with all my heart. And I'm going to forgive this person. And I'm going to let them go. And I'm going to refuse my right to make, them, to make them pay. I had a right, let me tell you. If I told you what they did, you would understand that I had a right. But who knows, when we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we gave up our rights. But what would have happened if instead of having the last word, I would have said, Lord, I'm going to trust in you with all my emotions because my emotions are rising right now and I really want to say a thing or two, but I am going to trust in you with all my heart and I'm going to come under the authority of your word and I am going to in all my ways acknowledge you and trust you right now to direct me and to take me in a place that opening that door to the enemy would not take me. There's another scripture, I think it's in Ephesians 2.2, don't quote me on that verse and chapter, but it says, uh, do not let the, uh, I gotta just look it up, somebody flip over to Ephesians 2.2, oh I'm sorry, it's Ephesians 2.11, or 2 Corinthians 2.11, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 2.11, I wasn't anywhere close, 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, lest Satan should take advantage of us. We are not ignorant of his devices. <laughs> lest Satan should take advantage of us. Do you know that that word advantage, it means to, to defraud or to take advantage of. <laughs> he wants to defraud you. He wants to come and play up your emotions and, and speak some, whisper some lies into your life so he can defraud you and, and take advantage of you. Don't be ignorant of his devices. Now turn over to Ephesians 2, 2. 
This is so good. The word says, uh, this, I just, Lord, help me to explain this like I saw it. And he's talking about unbelievers, and he said, uh, he made you alive, you as Christians now, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Stay with me, because this is so good. That word works is energeo. What does it sound like? Our word energy or energize, doesn't it? And really, in the original language, it means that. It means that which intensifies. It means to energize. It means like an electrical current to be operative, to put forth power. Working in a situation which brings it from one stage to the next. Oh, I, I want you to see and really focus on that which intensifies or energizes. It's the same, it's the same word that on the positive side is used in 1 Thessalonians 2.13 when it talks about the, the powerful word working in us, the word of God working in us, okay? But in this case, it's talking about uh, the, the uh, spirit that's at work in the sons of disobedience. And the word means to energize. And I'm telling you, that just spoke to my heart because when we give place to the devil and when we allow him a place to operate from in our life, do you understand that he begins to work? And that word work means to energize and to intensify. How many of you have ever been in a situation where you start to get angry? And you give way to that anger, even though God says, don't be angry, or be angry and sin not. And it begins to intensify. You give way to it, you start to act on it, and that anger, before you know it, just consumes your life, and you begin to say things you don't want to say and do things you don't want to do. Oh, if you don't struggle with anger, let me give you another example. How about lust? How about lust? And the craving that if you give way to the next thing you know, you'll, you're, you're neck deep in pornography or neck deep in adultery because it intensifies. You give way to it. You make a place for the enemy to work, and I promise he will intensify it. Energeo, to energize. He's working. You say, Rhea, I don't like all this talk about the enemy. Can I tell you, we are called to not be unaware of his devices. You and I need to do some self-examination and say, where have I given him place in my life? A long time ago, there was a popular motel chain that had a brilliant advertising campaign, and it had the tagline, you'll recognize it, we'll leave the light on for you. Does anybody know who, who did that? Motel 60, look how brilliant it was. You can even identify it. It was great marketing. We'll leave the light on for you. It conveyed the message that you are always welcome there and can stop by anytime. The door will always be open for you. I wonder how many of us have left the light on for the enemy of our soul, that we've rolled out the red carpet and welcomed him to take place, to find a place of opportunity to act in our life. Oh, it's interesting. Stay with me. That word give, let's go back and, and revisit it. Nor give place to the devil. It's interesting. That word is didome in the original language. I already told you it means to give of one accord, of one's own accord with goodwill. But here's what I want to clarify. It, you don't use didome for something that gets snatched away from you. You don't use didome to describe something you gave up under dis duress. <laughs> or something you're trying to hang on to, but it got stolen from you. Are you with me? 
You give, you use didome to describe something that you've bestowed upon somebody, granting permission for, or here's my favorite, delivering something for personal advantage. How many of you can remember Flip Wilson? I'm really dating myself. Flip Wilson was a comedian, and he had this act that he did. I think her name was Geraldine. She was a preacher's wife, and, and it was hilarious to watch. And what did Geraldine say all the time? Does anybody remember? The devil made me do it. I mean, she everything. I, I bought this new dress. It cost a lot of money, and her, she went home, and her husband said, how much did that cost, and why did you buy it? Well, you knew we didn't have any money. And she'd say, the devil made me do it. She blamed everything on the devil. I wonder how many of us have that same kind of theology, Geraldine theology that says the devil made me do it. Can I just tell you, the devil cannot make you do anything. You give him the opportunity. You say, well, Rhea, why in the world would anyone intentionally give place to the devil? Why would we ever provide an opportunity for him to act and, and have it be intentional? Oh, that's simple. We do it if we believed we had something to gain in the process. Remember, do, didome, delivering something to someone for personal advantage. We would give him place if the guise of what he was offering appealed to our desires and promised to meet a perceived need or longing. I was reading about the blue butterfly this week. The blue butterfly is a gorgeous butterfly and blue wings with black dots on it and it's just beautiful. But it is really a parasitic insect and, uh, because when it's in its caterpillar stage, what happens is the butterfly will intentionally, intentionally lay her eggs in a place. You see, they, they prey off this species of ants. They need those ants. And, and so what the butterfly does is she's calculated. She will intentionally lay her eggs where she knows those ants are going to come upon and stumble upon this, this caterpillar when it hatches out. So she might lay it on a, on, on a leaf, and she knows that when that leaf drops, that the caterpillar, when it hatches, the weight on the leaf will make that caterpillar drop, and the ants will come. It's in the path of those ants. Are you with me? And it's fascinating to me because what happens is that species of ants that they prey on, it does just exactly what the butterfly planned. It stumbles upon that, that caterpillar. And the clever caterpillar deceitfully draws the ants to itself because it admits pheromones or chemicals that are similar to what ant larvae produce. Hmm. Because what happens is the ants then, when they smell those chemicals, those pheromones, they will think that the caterpillar is one of their own. And they're deceived into believing that that caterpillar is not a threat. And so the scheming caterpillar, he gets even better. He further entices the ants because he secretes this glandular substance that's really sweet and tasty for the ants. And the ants love it. They, they, they are drawn in and they want that. They, they long for it. They crave it. And so what will happen is they don't want to give it up. And so they will carry that caterpillar back to their nest. Now, once he's in the nest, he further deceives the, the caterpillar, further deceives the ants because he starts to mimic the sounds of the queen ant. And he disguises his true identity and further deceives those ants. And after slyly gaining access to their nest, the caterpillar unsuspectingly 
begins to eat its way through the ant larvae because you see that caterpillar, the blue butterfly, needs the ant larvae to survive. And so, while the ants are feeding off his tasty substance, unaware that an enemy is in their camp, he is slyly killing off the ants and invading their nest. And they are completely unaware and oblivious to what's happening. And in fact, some of, the, some of the science pages I read said these ants will actually protect the caterpillar because they want what he's offering so badly. It's so tasty to them that even when they know that he's bringing destruction, they'll continue to protect him because they want what he has so badly. What does that sound like? Can I just tell you that the enemy of our soul does not come with a pitchfork and wearing a red suit like he's depicted. He comes in the guise of something we can't resist or think we can't do without. He's a parasitic enemy who does the same thing as that caterpillar. He, disgu he comes disguised as something we can't re resist, offering a tasty indulgence we can't turn away. And cunningly, he works and finds a place to function from in our lives, a place that strategically uh, uh, he can deceive and, and, and connive until he brings further destruction. And sadly, we buy into what he's offering and are enticed by it, little realizing we're inviting the enemy to infiltrate our life. Some of us have even taken him back to our nests. And we're letting him destroy our children in the process and our families in the process, all because we can't resist the poison that he's offering, a tasty morsel of sin. Like the clever caterpillar, he just comes disguised, offering something we don't think we can resist. A look at pornography, a rage that rises up and doesn't feel like it can be contained, a sexual relationship that seems right, a justifiable reason not to forgive, the desire for one more drink, one more indulgence, an occasion to live offended, a legitimate motivation to lie or cheat or hate. We cannot be unaware. He comes appealing to our desires, and if we're careful, we will give him place in our life, thinking we actually gain in the transaction. That word place is topos in the original language. It's where we get our word topographical map. It's where we get our word topography. It, it, it actually means uh, a, a territory or a mapped out location. It, it's a picture of the enemy pursuing every area of our lives, covering the map of our lives, so to speak. Can I tell you, he's after your marriage. He's after your children. He's after your finances. He's after your jobs. He's after your friendships, your family, your ministry, your minds. He's looking for any opportunity to penetrate and get place in your life. Nothing is out of bounds for him. We must stay alert or he'll be like that, that camel infiltrating the tent. Every night before my husband and I go to bed, we check the doors. We're a little uh, compulsive about it almost. I, I, I always will say, did you check the doors? And then I'll go back and check them just in case. We make, because we've left our garage door open one too many times and gone to bed. Anybody with me? And, and so uh, we check the garage door. We make sure it's locked. We, we check the front door, make sure it's locked. We check the sliding glass door, make sure it's locked. Are you with me? <laughs> 
We do a lot to protect our home from intruders. We, we would never in a million years think about uh, inviting a murderer over to our house for dinner or having a death row convict uh, come in and babysit for our kids. And yet every day, we invite an intruder into our lives, into our minds. We roll out the red carpet for the enemy of our soul, inviting him to inhabit an area of our thinking, our actions, and maybe even our beliefs. He's a thief. Thieves look, thieves look for places that they can rip you off. Let's look at some of the ways before we close that we give him place. In keeping this passage in context, if you can turn back to Ephesians 4, verse 27 says, neither give place to the devil. Right before it, it talks about anger. Be angry and do not sin, nor let the sun go down on your wrath. The immediate context of that passage clearly points to the fact that an angry spirit provides an opportunity for the devil to act. Charles Spurgeon said, anger is temporary insanity. I have no more right as a Christian to allow a bad temper to dwell within me than I have to allow the devil himself to dwell there. When we indulge in anger and rage, we give place to the devil and we provide an environment conducive for him to act. Scripture's clear. Anger that's nurtured and held on to. Anger itself is not a sin. It's when it's nurtured and held on to that we give place to the devil. Let's look at the other areas. He goes on to say, nor give place to the devil. He talks about stealing. He talks about corrupt words, uh, unwholesome words proceeding out of our mouth, lies, gossip, slander, criticism. He talks about grieving the Holy Spirit, letting all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you talks about malice and, and not being kind to one another and, and, and the importance of having compassion towards one another. Those are all areas that we allow the enemy a place to function from in our life, an opportunity to act. One of the biggest ones that I will tell you is unforgiveness. Hmm, Lord, help me. Unforgiveness gives the enemy a place to act. I just want to, I want to, Lord, help me to do this, but I just, I just want to, I want to play this, or, you know, draw the picture of, of what's happening out for you here. Because what else comes along with unforgiveness, for example? Anybody know? Bitterness. Have you ever seen a bitter woman? It's usually because she's been hurt sometime in her life and she's holding on to it. What else comes with unforgiveness? Hatred? Self-pity? Look at all those things. <laughs> my mother and father-in-law had a mouse problem in their house. And they set traps, and we hired a pest control person. We did everything to try to get rid of these mice. And, and what would happen is, you know, one by one they'd get thrown out and they'd get taken care of. But they were at a loss why these mice kept coming into their house. They couldn't figure it out. Yesterday I went out for their mail. And I went in through their garage, and when the garage door went down, I happened to notice that the garage was dark, but there was this light shining through at the bottom of the garage door. And I walked over and flipped the light on, and I looked down, and sure enough, those pesty little mice had chewed through the seal on the garage door, gaining access not only to the garage, but to the house that was connected right to, to the garage. 
And so while my mother and father-in-law could be dealing with the mice and carrying them out one by one, they, they would not be able to, 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 to control and contain that problem because they hadn't dealt with the access point. I can't wait till they get home to tell them I found the access point. We need to seal up that garage. As I saw that yesterday and I was thinking about what we're studying and giving place to the devil, I couldn't help but think about that illustration and how we have stuff in our life that we hate. For example, an unforgiving woman has bitterness that she knows she's bitter, but she just can't seem to control. And she's angry, and she snaps at her children, and she really is full of self-pity. She might not recognize that, but she is. And then she ends up hating the person who hurt her. And then here's what we do. We put on our Sunday school smile. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Bless you. I really need to do something about this anger. And I just go and smile and be nice. And even though I'm boiling with anger on the inside. And I know I shouldn't hate that person. So I'm going to be nice when I see them. Even though I have hatred deep within me. Why do you think that happened? Because what happens is we try to deal with the mice. And we never seal up the access point. Nor give place to the devil. Let me flesh it out a little bit more. When I was a little girl, I had, I had a really good mom. Please hear me say that. I, I honor her today because she was, she was a good mom. But, but she struggled with a mental illness that, that really made her self-absorbed and narcissistic. And, and really, she was so occupied with herself that I got lost in the shuffle. And, and I didn't get her attention. I had an invisible friend that was so real to me because I had to invent a friend because I felt so lonely as a little girl. And my father traveled as, he was a truck driver. His family owned a trucking company and so he was gone most of the time. He, he really wasn't home very often. And so the, the messages I got from a little girl, you see my mom and dad told me they loved me all the time and they were really good about saying that to me. But you see the message that they sent me said something different. It said, rejection, you're not worthy of our love or our time. And so in my little girl heart. You see, the little girl could not separate my mom from her illness. And so the message I got was that, 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 that you're abandoned and you're rejected. And so inside my heart, I got this wound, a large gaping wound that, that, that was full of rejection. And so I looked all my life. I was waiting for rejection because that wound was gaping. And who knows that a wound that's not properly dealt with will not heal. And it'll be a breeding ground for infection. And so uh, the enemy got placed in my little girl life. A place that, that, that really brought a spirit of rejection and abandonment to me. And so every situation I got in, <laughs> I would wait to be rejected. In fact, I would even behave in ways so people would reject me because better I do it and you walk away and I can say I caused that than you rejecting me and me have to feel the pain. Are you with me? And so the adult woman began to, because the enemy had that place in my life, the mice kept coming and they looked like self-hatred, perfectionism, Performance, 
self-rejection. Are you with me? And I would try to deal with perfectionism and clean that up. And, and I would try to deal with the eating disorder and clean that up. And I would try to deal with self-hatred and clean that up. But because I never dealt with the access point, the place where I gave him place, the mice kept coming. We've got to deal with the access point and seal it up. Some of you have to sit before the Lord and say, Lord, where did I give him place? The enemy likes to put a yoke on us and use that yoke to guide us through all of our life and, and manipulate us and, and control us. Do you see that? And he gets us when we're young. He finds a place to operate when we're young so he can deceive us and manipulate and control us because we gave him place. Some of you have got to sit before the Lord and say, where did I give him place? Where did I let him chew through the seal in my life? Oh, don't get me wrong, you're sealed by the Holy Spirit. He can't possess you, but he sure can find a place to operate from in your life. Are you following me? Is that clear? Do you see? I kept trying to carry away the mice one by one, and new mice would come in because the access was not sealed. Pornography. Let me give you that example. If you're struggling with pornography, you, you can try to move the computers out of the house. You can try to deal with all the magazines. You can, you can close your eyes and keep a covenant with your eyes so that you don't look at women, so you don't look at men, so you don't undress them in your mind. You, you can do all that. But you see, psychologists say that a pornography addiction is really a lack of intimacy in your life. Somewhere along the line, you bought into the lie that you weren't lovable, that you weren't worthy of love. And so you'll take a fraudulent source, a thrill to feel. And along with opening the door to that, that those feelings of being unloved and unwanted, a pornography addiction will come in. And so will lust, maybe perversion, maybe an adulterous spirit. Do you see? You've got to seal up the access point. That's why I say alcoholics, drug addicts, they, they try to, to stop drinking, try to stop doing drugs, and they don't realize that, that that's just a mouse coming in because there was an access point somewhere open to it. We've got to identify the place before we can seal it up. Oh, I have so much that I want to talk to you about. May I just give you one more scripture before we close? Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they of our God. Because many false prophets have gone out into this world. By this you will know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, has come in the flesh as God. I, I, I just want to, I want to just tear that apart for you. Uh, John is writing here to believers. And we know that because he calls them beloved. So, so this is going to apply to us as believers. This isn't for unbelievers. This is really for us. And, and he tells them not to believe every spirit. And that word believe means to think to be true. It means to be persuaded of, to credit, to place confidence in. 
Hmm. Do not believe to be true, to be persuaded of every thought you have. Don't place confidence in the conditions that rise up within you or the lies the enemy whispers. Don't credit every thought you have to be from the Lord, rather test it, he says. That word test means to scrutinize it, to examine it. You say, well, Rhea, where does the mind come into play? Because that word spirit, it means the disposition uh, or influence which fills and governs our soul. Keep in mind our soul is the mind, the will, the emotions. As spirit there can also mean the efficient source of any power, affection, emotion, or desire. John is saying don't legitimize every emotion you have, nor empower every thought that runs through your mind. Rather scrutinize it, examine it, and see if it's from God. He says, because by this you'll know the Spirit of God. You'll know if this is God because every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is God. That word confesses confesses means to say the same thing as another or to agree with. Stay with me. Because what he's saying is, if the voice you're listening to doesn't say the same thing as Jesus, if the voice you're listening to doesn't agree with his word, don't believe it. If the thought you're having is not a thought that, is, that, is, that would be something spoken to you from the voice of love, get another thought. So often we are led by our emotions or the things we, we are feeling and the Bible clearly says that the heart, the mind, the will, the emotions are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. You can't trust them. We must be led by the spirit and not the flesh and learn to test the spirits. Because the enemy comes whispering. The Bible says he's a deceiver. He's a liar. And what happens is he penetrates our thinking with his lies. And instead of testing that, instead of saying, wait, does this line up with the truth of the word of God? Is this something the voice of love would be saying to me? Instead, instead of scrutinizing it and examining that thought, we allow it to take us places that we wish we hadn't gone. We allow it to to cause us to give place to the enemy, to function. He can function from that lie and, and further deceive and manipulate us. Do you see it? So many of us give the enemy an opportunity to act in our life simply because we're ignorant of his devices. Scripture exposes his devices. As long as we are ignorant, of scripture, we will be ignorant of his devices. We must study the word of God, spend time meditating on it and storing it up in our heart. The sword of the spirit, the word of God, is our only offensive weapon. It's the weapon that Christ used to fend off the devil and it should be our weapon of choice as well. When we are walking in the truth and in the light, there's no room for darkness. The prince of this world is coming And he has nothing in me. Sin is crouching at your door. And it desires to have you. But you must master it. Don't give place to the devil. Father, I thank you for each man and woman in this place tonight. Lord, I pray that even right now you would be speaking to them about the places that they have given the enemy access to. Lord, I pray that they would take the authority that you have given us, 
the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy so that nothing can harm us. I pray that they would rise up with that authority and arrest the thief so that he can steal no longer. Father, give us wisdom, give us revelation to the areas of our heart that we have given place to the enemy. And help us, Lord, to seal up those places. Oh, Lord, we don't want to just treat the symptoms. We, we don't want to just deal with the mice, Lord. We want to seal up the access point. And so, Father, I'm asking that you speak specifically to people this week about those access points. And bring healing and wholeness into our life, Lord. So that the enemy won't have the advantage. Bless them, I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Rhea Briscoe, a division of Snowdrop Ministries. For more information about Rhea or how to connect with Snowdrop Ministries, please visit our website at www.snowdropministries.com or you can call 414-581-8150. We pray you are both encouraged and challenged to go deeper and grow stronger in your walk with Christ. Thank you.